everybody, and welcome to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and it's a wonderful day, at least for the time being. Sun is shining outside. I'm feeling a ton better than yesterday and the day before yesterday, and I've got a lot of fun topics to talk about during this show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you free of advertisement and the nagging stuff you hear on so many other podcasts. Thanks to my patrons, my monthly supporters that help me to do this work. And uh, I always have new patrons to welcome and older patrons to thank for their ongoing support. So I want to start off with just mentioning a couple of them. We've got Terry, who joined in September, uh, Joe also joining in September. And then in October, we had a huge influx of new patrons. Vivienne, uh, Cedric, Detlev, George, Lawrence, and Nadia, Katie, Christine, Sandra, Niels, and Josefina. They all joined in October, which was really, really awesome to have such a, a great addition to the community. And then in November... We had uh, a few people joining uh, the patrons. Uh, we had uh, Minika, Arika, who's also very active in on Discord, and Linda. And then December was a slightly bigger group that joined. We had Bill, Ryan, Chris, Terry, Julie, John. And then in January, so these are the absolute newbies. Uh, January has been a really great month for the community so far. I think in these past, what is it, three weeks now, we've had the biggest influx of new uh, Patreon members. So we have Derek, Mary, Larry, Jason, Bjorn, Sean, Janet, and Coleco. So happy to see you all uh, in part as part of the community. Many of you have already found the Discord server where we have a ton of discussions and uh, I get a lot of inspiration also and feedback for what I do. Um, and so if you want to join that wonderful community, take a look at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. Do you know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. So, I have some good news. I'm finally feeling a little bit better. Uh, if you follow me on social media, you may have seen my update where I announced that I was getting another COVID test. Um, on Monday, I was starting to feel really sick. Um, I had a bit of a fever. I was extremely tired and exhausted. I uh, spent most of that day in bed. Uh, I also had, um, I was feeling nauseous or had stomach cramps and just stuff that I never have. I'm never nauseous. I didn't want to eat. Uh, and I started to cough and to sneeze. And then I have this small uh, reserve of, of garlic in my kitchen that I use for, for cooking. And when I, when I was getting COVID, one of the things that I noticed was that I lost my sense of smell. So I did the test. I went to the kitchen and I took some of those garlic cloves and tried to smell them. I smelled almost nothing. And then my coffee actually had a weird taste, uh, almost a chemical taste. Now, this may be because it wasn't very good coffee. I don't know. But I was alarmed enough to call for, uh, for another COVID test, even though I, I knew that I probably still have 
enough antibodies. I've had COVID in um, in September, and as far as we know now, you have antibodies for at least eight months. However, there are reports of people getting reinfected. So since we still don't know that much about the virus and about how you know ex patients will uh, will will fare. I figured, you know, if only for my own reassurance and for the people around me that knew I was sick and have been close in in my proximity, I needed to get that test. So I got the test, and almost like 12, 10 or 12 hours later, I already had the results. Um, so they've really upscaled the test capacity in my country. Uh, and also the number of tests are, are going down because um, the inoculations have started, the vaccine, vaccination has started, um, and uh, we are in a, currently in a, in a pretty a strong lockdown, um, which is going to be even stricter. Uh, tomorrow we're going to get an evening clock, which is the first time since the Second World War that we have that. And so after 9 o'clock in the evening, you're not supposed to be outside unless you have a special permit. And then that goes all the way to the morning, like half past five or something like that. Um, and they do this not because there is currently uh, not a result of the, of the first part of the lockdown, because that is definitely helping, not, not as much as we thought it would, and definitely not as much as in spring uh, from last year, because people are you know, less focused, I guess. Uh, but it is, you know, declining. But we are all kind of calculating what will happen when the uh, variant from the UK will become dominant. And according to the predictions, and this is all statistics, so they can do a pretty, you know, good calculation of what the results will be. Uh, this is going to be the dominant strain in, in March and April, which is m it's more infectious. It will raise the R number, so the number of, of people that get infected by one patient, that will go up by a certain percentage. So they wanted to start to have a starting position with, you know, the the, the best possible uh, um, current situation. That's why they they've now proposed this evening clock so that we can maybe lower the infection rate even more, so that if this new virus uh, becomes dominant, uh, we we can still, you know, stay under that that number one, which is I think, you know, as long as you are under. The R, I'm not even sure if that's called an R number in, in, in different languages, but anyway, here they call it the R number. If that stays under number one, the number of infections will go down. As, as soon as you're over that, it will rise up. And we've seen in the UK and in Ireland recently how much that, that incremental rate of the virus, how, how treacherous that is. Like within three weeks, you can have this massive uptick in infections and if you don't do anything it will only get worse so um so anyway because of that situation it got tested got test results back very quickly and fortunately thankfully it was not covid however that really didn't help <laughs> i was still feeling miserable i was working uh, uh against the deadline for the second part of my china documentary and um that 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 was actually harder to make than I than I thought, as I explained in in, in last week's podcast. Um, but I was so sick that I couldn't really sit at my computer. I, I constantly had to run to the bathroom, and oh, I kind of concluded that if it's not COVID, <laughs> it's it's not the regular flu. It must be a, a stomach bug, and that can be a whole you know wide variety of of things. Could be 
uh, bacteria, it could be like a food infection, whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter what caused it, but the results were all the same. It was not pretty, let's put it that way. And it was it made it really uncomfortable to sit at my computer. I'm not going to go into details. I just want to keep things clean here. <laughs> but, oh my goodness. And so, um, I, I didn't, I was unable to get that TV show done. And so on Wednesday, it was six o'clock in the evening and I only had done three minutes, I think three or four minutes. So I knew that even though I had been working on voiceovers and so I, I knew how I wanted to tell the story, but I still had to physically compile it together in the editor which resulted in me working until 5.30 in the morning. And really, as much as I like working on these documentaries, this is not worth it. And I, I just feel trapped in this, in my own commitment. Like I wanted to do this, this three-part China documentary because I thought it would save me work by working with already filmed material. Uh, but instead, it is actually m more work than, than my regular shows. And I just, I can't keep this up. I don't see myself doing this for, for a few more months. So either I get better and I find some people to help me with editing, but that is not easy. Uh, you can find editors for small stuff. You know, if I would need a YouTube editor, someone ju to just, you know, take me talking to the to the camera for about half an hour and, and, and take out all the ums and ahs and, uh, you know, make that look nice. That is something you can find and it's not that expensive. But, but you know, a, a real professional TV editor that is able to hit the, uh, the level of quality that is required for this TV show, that is hard to, to find and it is expensive. But something needs to happen. Plus, of course, I'm eager to share these documentaries with, uh, well, first of all, my um, uh, my $10, 10 euro uh, tier um, uh, patron um, community members, because uh, in, in their tier, they get early access to the documentaries. But of course, we need to have documentaries so they can get early access to them. And this year, I really feel that the time has come to invest in that, because that's my future. TV is not my future. I will probably still make TV prog programs for, uh, for hopefully for years to come, but I don't see myself d doing that as my core business. I I really uh, I'm, I'm migrating towards this you know international production uh, work, and and that's what I love to do. I now have the freedom from my bishop to fully focus on my media work, including the ability to travel more and to do more ambitious projects. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to be stuck in this, uh, uh, this, this constant fight with, with deadlines and putting my own health uh, as a bargaining chip for, for, you know, for, for what I get from working for the TV. So, uh, yeah, all that is going through my mind quite a bit these days, and I'm, I'm really thinking of solutions because I still have a commitment for this first half of the year to deliver, what is it, 15 episodes. Um, so either I have to kind of rethink how I do them and make it even more easy and faster to make this stuff, or I just need to step back and I don't know. 
I'm still thinking about solutions, but what I do know is that this is this is not uh, something I I can't keep up, as they say in many you know '90s blockbusters with old cops that are you know uh, teaming up with Bruce Willis right before their retirement. I'm getting too old for this bleep. <laughs> That's how I felt. Well, in when, since we're talking about getting too old for this stuff, uh, that is. Apparently not the case for many politicians in the United States. Of course, there's a new president. We've seen the inauguration. Thankfully, there were no riots. Everything went rather peacefully. Um, but I'm always stunned to see the age of the politicians in the United States. This is something that is very uncommon here in Europe. Most of our politicians are in their, you know, 40s. Sometimes when I see our own prime minister is younger than I am. Uh, and, and many ministers uh, and, and other people working in the Senate and in the chambers are, for me, they're kids, you know. <laughs> but you rarely see people past the age of 65 active in politics, whereas in the United States, it seems like as you have to kind of get past 70 to, to you know, get any position. It's incredible. And I mean, that's impressive, and I think it's... Uh, it's laudable to see that people at a high age, at an advanced age, are still so active in in uh, American society, not just in politics, but everywhere. You see that also. When I, I was super surprised when I w went to visit D Disney World, and in the parking lot you had like eighty year olds working there. I was like, "What? Wow!" Amazing. Well, it's probably also um, <laughs> because if you haven't saved up for your retirement. Well, you'll have to work. Um, we, there's not the same social, um, let's say, safety that we have in many countries in Europe. So uh, it may just be a necessity that people keep working. But I'm still impressed to see how much you know people at an advanced age are valued uh, because of their contribution to society. Hey, of course, what I just said is not true for, for priests uh, and bishops. Most of us will keep working until we die. <laughs> I, I know few priests that uh, when they have reached the age of retirement say, well, toodaloo, I'm no longer doing anything for the church. I'm just going to go and, and, and live, you know, on a remote island and sipping my pina colada. Uh, most of us are, you know, we're, we're not in it for, for the career <laughs> We're in it because we love to do this, and this is our vocation. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm not anywhere near my retirement yet. <laughs> I saw, by the way, and this is probably also uh, true for you, uh, that Bernie Sanders, the, this politician, this Democrat politician from, uh, from uh, the U.S., has taken over my timeline. So he was attending the inauguration of uh, uh, President Biden, and he's always been a little bit of a... Uh, you know, a, a typical guy, just totally himself, doesn't really care what people think. And so he was wearing these mittens that a teacher had made for him out of old clothes or whatever. And they, she sent it to him and he's wearing them. But they're very, like, out there. <laughs> and, and he had this this coat. This It was apparently super cold outside. You could also tell by Tom Hanks later on did a presentation and he was just physically shaking uh, because he, you know, I don't think that people expected it to snow on that day. But anyway, so Bernie Sanders was like, I'm not going to freeze to death here <laughs> at the Capitol. So he had this coat on, 
which apparently was also something that was gifted by him. It was actually merch, merchandise. There is a company that makes these coats, and it has his face on the back of the coat, and then he saw it with a fan and said, oh, I'd like to have one of those coats. So they gave him one without his face on, on the back of it, and that was what he was wearing. And, and now people have cut out that image of him sitting in that chair, not really caring about what people thought of him with the, with the mittens and everything. And they're pasting it in the most hilarious situations. I've even seen uh, the, the, you know, him sitting at the table of the Last Supper and <laughs> just in a scene of, uh, uh, of Back to the Future. It's unbelievable how creative people are. And you know what? I think this is a very human reaction to all the tension that that not just Americans but every one of us went through you know last week with all the riots happening and like we're all holding our breath like what is happening and now it's almost this release of like it's it's allowed to laugh again you know we can make fun even of our politicians and it's such a kind of a, a um a remedy against all the despair that 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 are even now still is, is is gripping a lot of people um a lot of apparently from research that has been done in the u.s a lot of people are super pessimistic about the state of their country about the future um, but laughter fun comedy has always proven to be a good medicine against hopelessness against uh, depression and so well let's bring that to the world let's put on our funny hats and make each other laugh it's much, much, much better use of your time than making people cry. I do not like movies. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl and that kid sees dead people and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. This morning I woke up to some tragic news. Um, I read on Twitter and on Facebook <clears throat> by a post by Michael Straczynski, by the way, who's the writer and the, you know, the creator of uh, the te television series Babylon 5, that the actress Mira Forlan had died. Uh, quite suddenly, m most people didn't know that she was ill. Uh, it's not exactly clear what she, what she died of, from kind of the vague descriptions that I saw, it's not COVID, but she, her health was declining. And so she died at the age of, I think, 65 only. She played, in Babylon 5, she played an alien, um, a, an ambassador called Dallin, she or Delan, I should say. She was a Minbari, or kind of a, a, Minbar, a combination of a Minbari and, and, and humans. Um, and the whole series of Babylon 5 is, is a bit similar, if you've never seen the series, it's a bit similar to Deep Space Nine. There's a space station and all these different alien factions and, and peoples are, are trying to work together and to, oh, at one point, even fight a common uh, enemy. Um, and uh, the ambassador, Delan, had a very important role in kind of bringing everyone together. Uh, she's played this role for, for many years, um, and then afterwards, and this is maybe for some of you that haven't never seen Babylon, you may have seen the series Lost. She also had uh, a, a recurring role on the TV show Lost, which is one of still one of my favorite television series ever. She played 
Danielle Rousseau, I think in the first and the second season, and then she came back later on in the in the television series. Danielle Rousseau was one of the uh, people that were actually also on the island even before the the uh, the, the group that stranded there because of the crash of the airplane. Uh, so she had been living there and sending transmissions through a uh, radio tower and uh, and she it was a very different character from the role that she played in Babylon 5 um, but people loved the way she portrayed that character as well um, and that's about it she uh, was born in, in former Yugoslavia and so she went through this whole in her personal life, of course, it had to go through this entire you know, separation, and uh, she, I think she ended up in Croatia, or maybe that's where she was from. I think, yeah, I think she was from what's now Croatia. Um, but at one point, she uh, she uh, moved to the United States. She um, she married, I think, a director who directed her at least in one of the episodes of, of Babylon Five, um, and they were a very very tight couple. They had one child. Um, so I, I, I presume that, that the loss is going to be terrible for, uh, for her family and friends. And this is not the first actor of Babylon, Babylon 5 to die recently. past few years, we've seen a lot of people from the old crew uh, dying for various reasons. And so uh, that's always sad. Always, it's like the people that die, uh, you know, the actors from Star Wars you feel that they're part of your life because you were alive when they were playing these roles that you admired and now they're no longer there. It always hits you uh, when, when you hear something like that. Yeah. Um, then we had uh, a cheerful announcement uh, by Disney. Uh, and it, this time it did not uh, involve Marvel or Star Wars, one of the other franchises that Disney owns is, of course, The Muppet Show. And uh, The Muppet Show is something that a lot of us grew up with. Maybe the younger ones among us did not, but uh, I certainly did. And I will always remember the opening scene, which was kind of like this predictive (laughs) video of what Zoom calls would look like. And you got the Samajah, special guest star, whatever who it was. <laughs> and then, you know, you'd see the stage, and of course the the orchestra playing uh, the, the instruments. It's time to light the lights. I'm up a show tonight. And then the, the screen at the end shows you all these Muppet characters in um, an overview. Of uh, of the stage, and they're all in their own kind of cubicle or frame, and it it's just like wow, that was Zoom before there was Zoom, so funny. But anyway, the the news, the announcement that Disney brought us was that they're going to bring all the seasons of the original Muppet Show, which has have not been available anywhere, at least not that I know. Um, they're going to bring them to Disney Plus starting February 19th. And it will also include the seasons four and five, which for, I think for copyright reasons, have never been available before. So um, the this is massive news for for Muppets fans like I am. And it's, it's, uh, it's also exciting to see that Disney Plus has 
the leverage now to make stuff like this happen. I bet you that you know they just went to every, all of these guests because every show, of course, would have these celebrities. Even Mark Hamill was one of the guests in a Star Wars themed episode, which I cannot wait to see back because I, I remember seeing that as a kid and just freaking out. I was it was so cool to see, you know, and, and also a bit weird. See, it, because Mark Hamill was playing both himself and the character of Luke Skywalker in the same episode, and they even meet. And as a child, you're like, wait, what? How can an actor and the character that he portrays be they're together in the same in the same scene. How how what? It was just mind blowing. <laughs> it was such a cool episode. I, I remember there was even pigs in space in that uh, Star Wars episode, which was also Star Wars themed. I think Miss Piggy was Leia or something like that. It was amazing. Anyway, so because I had these 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 special guests and they would also perform often like one of their songs or whatever uh during the show apparently this this caused lots of copyright problems later on i don't know maybe it had to do with the contracts that they signed and you know this was way before any of us could have dreamed of of on-demand video or you know this being available for streaming platforms and so what i think happened was that a lot of these contracts uh, were just signed for you know just gave the rights to an, an airing on tv but did not include streaming rights and so that probably had to, has had to be rene- renegotiated by disney in order to get you know everything uh, ready for for streaming. It was one of the things that surprised me that they would put up these these very mediocre uh, uh, Muppets spinoffs like Muppets Now, which I reviewed a few episodes ago and which I absolutely was horrified with. It was so bad, uh, and I was like, "Well, well, why do, don't they have the original series?" Well, probably just because of the legalities that they've been able to solve. So I am super excited. Hopefully, they'll be able to present it in a you know, uh, a condition that is still watchable because these, these were, I think, filmed on on videotape. So that's usually not the best quality and it's hard to preserve. So hopefully it'll look good. I don't know if they can add. I mean, sometimes I get my hopes up high, like, oh, they're going to do this re- massive restoration and now Disney has such deep pockets. They can, they can totally, you know, upgrade the image like they do with so many... Uh, um, what is it? Remasters nowadays, um, but then again, they they when they launched, they had the black hole, and I I was stunned to see that nothing had been done in terms of restoration. Whereas I still consider the black hole to be one of the masterpieces of a uh, uh, master, at least when it comes to science fiction movies in Disney stable. Um, so I I don't know if they if they maybe they will just choose to to put this up the way it is, the way they've archived it, and maybe if it's successful, they can they can uh, rest, uh, do a restoration or, or something. Let's first wait and see what they will bring us. Speaking of The Muppet Show, I also saw, and I don't know if this is a recent edition or if I just missed it the first time I looked, but I saw that, the, that on Disney Plus, I can also see The Muppets, and this was a series that was developed for ABC, which is also Disney-owned. And I, I think from the descriptions of what I've heard of it, 
it was going to be like this behind-the-scenes mockumentary, kind of like The Office or Parks and Recreation, but then with Muppets. And for some reason, I was so kind of <laughs> disappointed by Muppets now that I thought, well, so that was what they were talking about back then? Oh, I'm not going to waste my time on watching that. Well, turns out I was wrong. There's a different series. It's just one season right now. I, I saw the first episode and then the part of another episode just to sample if it if they can keep up the quality and it was amazing it was so good and it was funny and it's well done it's got all your favorite characters and it's the total opposite of muppets now this is good taste these these jokes are are well developed they're funny uh, they fit the characters there is it's it's you know it's well edited everything has a has a great pace I it just kept me glued to the screen. That's how good it was, and it features this kind of the, the of course the the relationship, the kind of hate love relationship between Kermit and and Miss Piggy, and then she's even worse than she used to be, or at least worse than I remembered her to be. <laughs> like in the first episode, they have this special guest, and 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 Miss Piggy is just vicious. <laughs> it's unbelievable, <laughs> but so funny. Um, and it's beautifully produced. This is not just two-dimensional like they d- used to do with the old Muppet show where it's basically uh, Muppet, it's, it's puppet theater. <clears throat> but in this series, the camera moves around. You've got like a foreground and a background. They do like focus shift where you sometimes you see something very sharp in the background and then the focus moves back to the, the, the animals in the foreground. Um, so all that... And, and, and they still make it feel as if it was filmed on the spot, which I don't think is possible because it's, it's well scripted. So I, I just can't imagine how much time they must have put in, in, in rehearsals just to get this right. Uh, but the result is stunning. And if this is the future of the Muppets, then please bring it on. I want to see more. This was amazing. Final series that I've, I'm able to watch now, thanks to Amazon Prime, is Star Trek Lower Decks, which uh, it has uh, been, I think, also part of CBS All Access in the United States. But none of the other streaming platforms uh, carried it in, the, in Europe uh, up until this moment. So I was very excited to hear that even though this premiered like half a year ago in the US, we would finally be able to see it on Amazon Prime. And I did not have high hopes when I saw the trailer I was just not even laugh, uh, not even smiling. It it was, it just looked like a bit of Rick and Morty, and it just didn't work for me. So I wasn't really expecting much, and to my surprise, it was actually pretty good, and it was much more like classic Star Trek. It's I mean it's it's goofy, it's funny, but but the overall stories are much more similar to you know regular the next generation type episodes um pretty watchable good story and also i was amazed to see that they were able to introduce us to to the you know the main crew of characters um and do that without over the top exposition or anything by the end of the series by the end of the first episode you you really already know like five or six crew members and you kind of like them, and I like their interaction. So I was pleasantly surprised. I hope that the other episodes of the series are going to be just as good. <laughs> Catholics rock! 
it's time for a quick visit to the Peculiar Bunch. And this is the place where I talk about Catholic stuff. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? Today I don't have a particular question that I answer. And in case you have any questions, let me know. But I just want to make like a general statement. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. I just want to get something off my chest. And this is uh, something has been a fact, kind of like irritating me for, for a while now. And that is this tendency that some Catholics have in, you know, in all in all areas of Catholicism. You know, you see it with bishops, you see it with uh, parishioners, with fellow priests, with uh, Catholic, you know, media personalities. And it's, the, and, and, and it's absolutely not a, like a general thing that I see, but, but I see it often enough to get a little bit irked by it. And that is this tendency of some to measure someone else's Catholic, Catholicity, Catholicity is that—that's the word, right? <laughs> so to to pass judgment on fellow Catholics, and 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 uh, taking a stance as to whether that person should be considered as a good Catholic or not, or even in be considered to be a Catholic or not. This is, of course, happening a lot. Uh, in maybe as a result of the current political climate and also religious climate in the United States, which is very polarized. And it's also kind of seeping down, it's especially through social media. I see it being embraced also by people over here in Europe. And it's this, um, this tendency to... Uh, to, to you know take someone uh, like it could be a politician or someone from the entertainment industry and then writing a blog post about it or filming a YouTube video or whatever or writing a, a an article in a newspaper about why these people are not Catholic even though you know maybe they they are Catholic because they have been baptized and did their first communion but this and this and this and this is wrong with that person. And if you are a true Catholic, then you would absolutely not take that stance and you would not promote this and you would be against that. And you'd basically, you, should, you would be like me, a true Catholic, someone who stands for what he believes in instead of being that other person. I really dislike it when people do that. And I can understand why people do that, because it's, in, especially in times where things are shifting and where, you know, any, the, the group that you belong to feels threatened, this, because this is a universal process. I don't think this is just Catholics doing this. You see this in all sorts of social uh, situations. But when the, the social group that you belong to, that also defines your identity and gives you something to hold on to, you know? Like, oftentimes we... The groups that we are a part of co-define our, our, our identity, or at least we, we, we feel that they do. Like, if I'm a fan of this or that soccer club or football club, I just call it football, because, you know, it involves feet and, 
and a ball, right? Football. But anyway, you see that same behavior, like like uh, the the being part of the of the fan base of this or that sports club. Uh, you wear the jerseys and the hats and the logos. You cheer them on uh, during the matches, even though you're just watching your TV and you know the universe couldn't care less if you're yelling at your TV or not. But anyway, <laughs> you see what I mean? It's it's it, we we want to. It's part of the way we function that we want to belong to certain groups, and I think that religious groups are not an exception. Um, a, a very important aspect of being a Catholic is being part of the Catholic community. It's not just a set of ideas or a creed that you recite and subscribe to. No, it's also just having people that are that you feel are part of your group. Well, in our current society, a lot of the social structures are changing like they've always done throughout history, let's be honest. But anyway, that also means that certain social givens like there is a parish community that i can belong to some of those are 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 disappearing or are merging into bigger structures or are you know also cultural developments are starting to affect the members of those communities and they may t- take different stances on certain things like the other the other day uh, in the previous episode i was explaining to you how pope francis had changed canon law to allow women to also be admitted to the functions of lector and acolyte. And that's, a, you know, it's pretty big uh, change in, in uh, the organization of the group. And I'm pretty sure that that alone has caused among certain members of our Catholic community a lot of uproar and anxiety. Oh, but the next step is going to be they want to claim the diaconate for women and the priesthood for women and then we're going to have a female pope. You know, <laughs> it's time for the Lord to return and put some order in this chaotic world of where everything goes to, you know, goes down the drain. A lot of those reactions, I think, come from fear. Fear of losing part of your identity. The fear of the group that you belong to no longer being... Uh, an environment where you feel at ease because it's challenging your worldview. And if there's something that can truly make us anxious, it is that we may have to adjust our worldview, that we may have to rethink things that we have believed for decades, that we have to maybe take a different choice uh, than our parents did on certain issues. It, it, it brings us a lot of anxiety because it, 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 it shows us a mirror and a question. You know, look into the mirror. Who do you see? Who are you? Who are you? And how do you feel about this group that you belong to and, and what that group stands for? And do you also stand for it or not? And if we see other people in that group maybe behaving differently from what I think is the norm... And what I want to uphold as my norm, if I see someone who claims to be part of my group taking a different direction or behaving differently or, or defending points of view that, according to my framework, are not part of our, our system of norms and values, then that fear, I think, is awakened, is 
we're triggered by that fear. And so it's a natural, and also there, it's not just in, in, in religions, this happens in other social groups as well. We start to cast out those that are different. We start to move, move away or we push people out that we think are not adhering to the norms. I was watching a, a very honest and, and very impressive uh, video by someone I follow on, on YouTube, um, and I follow him for his movie reviews. And just in, in January, the beginning of the year, he posted a video, and he starts off that video by saying, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something that I actually never talked about here on my, on my YouTube channel, but I feel you have to know. Um, because I've made a choice and I'm gonna, what I'm going to tell you right now is going to be probably resulting in me getting kicked out of the group to which I belong and being completely rejected by my family, including my parents. And then he goes on explaining that he was raised in uh, the cult of the Jehovah Witnesses. And he himself calls it a cult, even though, you know, that is already something that could get him expelled. And he talks about how much that uh, that religious group or that cult has um, tried to to rob him from his individu- individuality, from what from from what he loves to do. It's talking about movies, and how more and more he felt like I, you know, the only way for me to stay in this group is if I become a drone, if I just follow orders and and conform to what everyone else is doing. But I don't want that because I don't think like that. I don't believe that, and I don't want to be part of this group anymore. And so uh, he then explains what happens in. In this cult, when you when you don't conform, when you have divergent opinions, you're cast out in the most horrific possible way. Um, and there's really kind of a there's not just we're going to ignore you from now on. No, it's forbidden for your friends and your family that are maybe still be part of of the Jehovah Witnesses to ever talk to you again. So. It's uh, and and that of course can can cause great trauma and is keeping a lot of people so afraid to diverge because of the social consequences of that of, of that divergence they will stay in the group and that's exactly what the cult wants. When I was watching that video, I was like, hmm. You know, it's easy to say, well, oh, that's just Jehovah Witnesses. That's the cult, and it is. And there's a huge difference between I think a cult like that and let's say the Catholic Church. But the behavior is, I think, definitely something that also menaces uh, communities like the Catholic Church, where instead of following the example of our founder, Jesus, to forgive each other, to always go and seek for the lost sheep, to what he himself says, to follow his example, when he says, I have not come to earth to judge, but to save and what do we sometimes do when we feel afraid and when we are not sure if, you know, what I stand for is, uh, can I tr- do I truly believe that? Am I, am I perfect or not? Well, at least l- l- let me point at the other guy who is certainly not perfect. And then maybe I will feel better about myself. 
there's a lot of this, this, I'm not a psychologist, but I think it's a process where when you are not really rooted in your faith, when you don't have a living relationship with Jesus, when there's no prayer in your life, uh, or at least not enough, when, when maybe you're very unhappy with yourself and you, you feel like, you know, you, don't, you, you may not always conform to the norms and the ideals of, your, of the religion that you're part of, then, then sometimes what we do is we, we kind of project an outside version of ourselves, like the Instagram happy face, you know? <laughs> but then in terms of religion, like I, I want to project to the outside world that I at least, even though I know I'm fallible and I make mistakes and I sin and I have to go to confession, but, but I don't want the outside world to know that because maybe they'll start to doubt as well. And even worse, maybe I will start to doubt. So I'm just going to project that I'm this, this you know, good Catholic and I'm, I'm just going to point to the other people that I don't like, that I feel are, you know, setting a, the wrong example. I'm just going to say they're not Catholic, you know. And that is, that is something, to make it more specific, uh, I've seen posts uh, attacking politicians for not being Catholic because your party is doing this and that and is, def- is, is defending this and that. So you cannot receive communion. You are no longer part of my family. I don't, I don't tolerate you. I don't want anything to hear about you. And so it's, it's, it's much, it goes much far, further than let's have a debate. Let's talk about this. What do faith and politics have in common? Where do they maybe, you know, have to start a dialogue? Because faith has it, oftentimes a different view of, of, of mankind, of, our, uh, of ethics, than politicians and certain po- political parties do. But instead of doing what is much harder and much more challenging, you know, let's talk. And let, also, let me talk also about myself. Where do I stand in this? And can I truly explain why I believe what my church stands for? Or am I maybe, is that too hard? You know, what you see in the uh, QAnon movement, where, which is, I think, kind of a substitute religion. Um, as soon as, they, as these people are criticized, well, how can you believe that? Oh, you just do your homework. You know, I'm not just going to name you all the people that agree with me and... But that's that's a cop out. You should always be able to bear witness of the truth, to deepen your faith so you can explain it, and also enter a debate. But you know, most of us don't want that because we we don't feel that we can. It makes us uncertain. So it's much easier to just condemn and to just point and judge and say, well, that politician, that president, that guy, that parishioner is not Catholic because, and then we just put them on the stand there and shame them in public. I think we need to stop doing that. It is a counter witness to what I believe Jesus has told us to do. Go and make disciples. He he didn't say, go and judge anyone who is not Catholic and put their photo up on Facebook and write an article, why why not? (laughs) And why you are that perfect follower. Most of the apostles that followed Jesus 
at one point or another in their life failed to do so and had to be forgiven and had to be given another chance, like Peter, you know? <laughs> and and I, I wish that we would have that attitude towards fellow Catholics as well. In The church is first and foremost a family. And if you are a mother or a father and one of your kids does something you don't agree with and that doesn't align with your family values, are you going to kick your kid out of the door and say you want, never want to talk to that, to that child anymore? Would you, you know, would your first reaction be, hey, I'm just going to confront you with your behavior and I'm going to tell you why I am right and you are wrong? I don't, I think that would make you, make you a lousy parent. What you should do, and parents know this, is well, let me first try to understand my kid. Why is he or she, she saying that? Why, why the behavior? Maybe it's something that we can resolve. Maybe I can help. Maybe we can talk. You know, that's, that's what adults do. Kids, kids point fingers and say, you are a lousy Star Wars fan and I'm a Star Trek fan, so you're wrong and I'm right. And you can eat poop. <laughs> that's what kids do. Sometimes that's also what Catholics do. And I think we need to stop that. Because it's not helping the church it's not certainly not helping the other person that you criticize, but in the end, it's also not helping you because it betrays your inner disposition, your attitude of judgment, instead of 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 mercy and ab the ability, the willingness to listen, and and even the willingness to enter into a debate. We have to set the example. Instead of, you know, <laughs> giving the wrong example, and especially doing it in public like I see so many Catholics do. Sometimes I wonder if, you know, definitely some of these groups, I wonder if their intentions are pure. If they really want to, if they're really criticizing the people around them because they want the best for these people. They want to help them to see <laughs> the, the light and the truth. Sometimes a lot of this negativity is also done <clears throat> to get more attention for themselves, for the channel that they want to promote, the money they want to make. But I don't think that will last. I think we're kind of done with all this, you know, this behavior, this uber-negative behavior, judging each other, demonizing one another. The last few years have, have shown us what damage that can do to our society and to ourselves also. I think it's time for another attitude. All right, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> when did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I started a book club over on our Discord server uh, that any patron can have access to. Um, and, and we talk about books and I ask for suggestions. And I think last week when I was doing my, uh, my show, I was asking for suggestions for good science fiction books because I read a book that I did not really enjoy. Uh, I think it was called Winter World. And Jessica gave me uh, a suggestion to read The Murderbot Diaries by Martha Wells. These are novellas. They're not very long books, which is good for my Goodreads, you know, uh, goal for, for this year, reading one book per week and 
uh, what is it, five books per month. <clears throat> the Murderbot Diaries is a science fiction series by Martha Wells uh, about an artificial construct designed as a security unit, so basically a robot, um, but also has some organic parts. Working as a security unit, so tries to defend terrestrial missions on other planets, etc., but also sometimes have the ability to kill uh, in order to protect. Now, this, this artificial contract, this robot, gets self-awareness and is able to hack its governor module, so basically the restraining bolt, if you are a Star Wars fan, and can now hack systems and basically could become a mass murderer, but instead prefers to just watch media, to watch, well, the equivalent of Netflix all day. Um, why? Because that's more enjoyable to, the, to this uh, murder bot. <laughs> and, um, and so it's so funny that the, the, but the story is told from, from the perspective of this, of this murder bot. It was like, yeah, I could, you know, go and kill everybody, but uh, you know, I'd rather watch soap operas. It's it's interesting. It's funny, and <laughs> he's hacked into the the Netflix uh, over there, and and so, but then he needs to accompany a, a group of explorers that get, I think, betrayed, or there's something going on. There's a bigger plot. I haven't finished the book yet, and uh, and then bit by bit, he starts to bond with the people, the real humans, which of course. Kind of, he's like a second-degree citizen be because of his ability to to kill. Um, but bit by bit, he starts to have to. And, you know, he's very introverted also. The robot doesn't like to interact with people at all. He doesn't like to look them in the eye. But at one point, he, he has to because he gets basically teamed up with them. And it is so funny. It's got a really dry humor. Um, it's, it's pretty fast-paced. So you're after like chapter one, you're immediately in in in, in the action, and it's like a, they at one point. This is the beginning of the story, so it's not a big spoiler. Um, they descend into a crater, and then all of a sudden, out of this crater comes this huge monster. So it's like a, the the pit of Sarlacc or something like that. And then he, the robot has to save one of the crew members, and and then he's describing her injuries, but he's doing it like completely matter-of-factly so you know he describes the body parts that have been ripped off and then and then like five seconds later he's talking about a television show that he's watched <laughs> it's like oh my gosh yeah yeah you still have a lot to learn so it's got a little bit of that as well like what, what, what we all loved about data in uh, the next generation is this robot that has to kind of like get to interact with humans and well, has to learn from that, but also the other way around. So thank you, Jessica, for that uh, recommendation. And it's a, it's a series, so there are a few other books. I was very glad to, to discover them on, on um, Storytel, which is the audiobook service that I subscribe to. Um, so I still have a, a number of these uh, novels ready for me to, uh, to listen to. So I'm very, very happy with this discovery. It's called The Murder Bot Diaries by Martha Wells. Scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. I always thought that dogs only saw the world in black and white. This is one of these things that you've been told as a child or whatever. And so I always figured, you know, it's... Uh, 
I would. I don't want to. If reincarnation was a thing, which it isn't, uh, I certainly don't want to come back as a dog because I like my collars. <laughs> really, if there's anything I like, it is colorful stuff. I, 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 as a cameraman, I always look for colors, and I can't stand filming in overcast weather because everything kind of looks gray and drab. If you ever see my photos on my Instagram account, you will see that that most of them are compilations of photos where I always try to make a composition that in in total gives you a color palette. Um, I'm, I'm obsessed with colors. I think it's even more important than, than what I see is like, what color does it have? And uh, so I, I was like always pitying the dogs for not seeing colors. Well, it turns out, from a scientific point of view, I was completely wrong. Dogs actually do see colors, just not as many as we see. I discovered this uh, this website, or this article on a website, which I will link to in the show notes, which has a very, very cool way of explaining what different animals see by giving you photos where you see a living room. It's got a wooden floor, it's got a blue couch and then a red couch straight from Ikea. It's got like a, a, a brown uh, dressoir or what is it, coffee table with a blue mm, napkin or something like that on top of it. On, on the left is this pink dining table with black chairs. You see some bookshelves, lamps, and a part of an open kitchen. The cool thing is that photo uh, has, a, has a handle, like an orange icon that you can move to the left and then all of a sudden you will get the version of the same living room but then in the colors and also with the field of view of different animals and it's pretty amazing and it turns out it's different for for all types of of of, uh, of of animals so first of all the dog actually dogs do see colors but they have only two cones instead of three. We are able to see the primary colors of, of blue, green, and red. And we combine these colors to see all these different shades. Your television screen or monitor has the same... Uh, functions in the same way. It has... Basically, every every dot that you see has three... It con- consists of three colors. Just go and grab a... Uh, well, not a microscope, because many of us don't have those. If you have these older TVs, you could actually see the lines of colors on the screen. So dogs only have two cones, so, and they see only blue and yellow. So, uh, for instance, the, r- the red uh, couch, the red IKEA couch, in the, in the dog's version, looks kind of brownish or beige. Um, but the blue couch looks okay. The green, whatever it is next to the couch, looks green because those are those colors are made out of uh, blue and yellow. Uh, the the pink dining table also just looks kind of beige or yellowish. What a dog also doesn't have like us is the same visual acuity. Uh, which means the ability to make out shapes and details is much lower with dogs. They only have 20 to 40% of what we see. So the photo is much more blurry, which also means that dogs can't really see from afar. 
Um, and you notice that when you approach a dog, even if it's your own dog, it takes a while for them to recognize you. What they use, of course, in conjunction with their eyesight is their nose. And so probably even before they recognize you with their eyes, they've already smelled you <laughs> because they can smell so much more than we can smell. That, of course, is kind of hard to visualize on the website. And dogs also have a much wider field of vision, which I did not know. They have a 240-degree field of vision. So they, they see much more of the room than we do. We have a 180-degree field of vision, field of view. They see 240. That is uh, 60 degrees more than we have. That is the, the width of your webcam. It's incredible. Uh, a cat, slightly different. So a cat has a 200 degrees field of view, so it's not as wide as the field of view of a dog. Um, cats do see much more uh, uh, during the night um, because they have um, uh, the, the, the cone, the, the rods actually. So we have cones and rods, right? But the, the cats have more rods than cones, I think, which is a different type of a photoreceptor cell uh, sensitive to low light. So cats can see perfectly in the dark, whereas we don't see anything and bump our heads. The, the color vision of cats is also different from dogs. It, it, it has two color cones, blues and yellows, but also a little bit of green. So if I move this handle on the photo around, you'll see that the, the, the room looks very different, much more warped. The uh, red couch looks also a bit beige, slightly uh, more pinkish, I think. Um, and everything kind of looks more yellowish <clears throat> in a certain way. Then you've got goldfish. Wow, that was a, a massive discovery. I had no idea. Goldfish actually see more than we see. They also see ultraviolet light, and, which helps them to see underwater. And there's also something else going on with, with its eyes. Um, the eyes on the inside have the same density as water. So they don't have uh, trouble seeing underwater because the warping effects of light in water are compensated by the composition of their eyes. Whereas we, if, we, if you open your eyes in water, you don't see much. Um, also, because of the position of the, and form and the shape of the eyes of the goldfish, uh, a fish has almost a 360-degree canvas, so it can see almost anywhere. Amazing. So anyways, it got also the view of snakes, tarantulas, and parrots. Now, one thing that was cool for me to discover was the tarantulas. Even though they have eight eyes, they don't see anything. They have such a blurry sight. So instead, they use the, the hairs on their, on their legs to sense. As long as I don't move, it can't see me. <laughs> we are on the cutting edge of technology. Wow. Well, what does that mean? Let's plug it in. It's going to say, hey, I see you plugged in a new device. And it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. I wanted to briefly uh, talk about the whole WhatsApp thing. Now, this is a messaging app that is owned by Facebook. Very popular in the Netherlands. Everybody uses WhatsApp. But recently, 
um, WhatsApp has caused quite an uproar, or actually Facebook did, because they announced that they wanted to combine the data that they get, the user data, from WhatsApp. Not that they're reading your messages, but they use, of course, all sorts of other data. They get, gather also your, your, your location and, uh, you know, <laughs> how you use the screen, how you, even how, probably how long you look at ads and stuff. And it wants to combine all that data, which it has gathered for years, let's be, tr- let's be honest, with all the data that they already have from you through Facebook and, and probably also Messenger and other services that Facebook owns, Instagram also. Now, of course, in Europe, there are very strict data laws, much stricter than in uh, North America. Uh, so they have not been allowed to do that, but they, they've announced that they want to do that in the United States, and the backlash has been tremendous. Lots and lots of people have been switching to Signal, which is also a messaging service. It's free, as far as I know, um, encrypted, and has much stricter uh, rules to which it abides, or says to abide, and because it's highly encrypted, they can't even gather that much uh, information that, uh, compared to uh, what Facebook is able to gather. Now, um, I mean, it's funny that people are switching to Signal. I use it myself as well. Uh, I kind of like the overall uh, interface of WhatsApp a little bit more than Signal. I think definitely WhatsApp on the computer is, is, is a lot more comfortable to use than Signal. Um, but it's it's interesting that lots of people are now switching to Signal, thinking that now they are safe from Facebook. But that's not true. Facebook has is everywhere. Um, even if you're not running the app on your phone, it still gathers a ton of data. If you have the app on your phone, um, it has it, it probably also does profiling. We don't know for sure what app what what all these big companies do. Um, so even if you're not logged in, it can s- still recognize your behavior and can continue to, to fill the, their profiles of you with information, even though you think that they are not measuring anything. And let's be honest, Google is doing the same. A lot of other companies and, and app makers are doing the same. Um, that is why this, <laughs> this crazy theory that... Um, uh, some people believe in that, uh, you know, the vaccinations are actually meant to inject like microchips, like tracking chips in you. Uh, so they, for whatever evil master plan, <laughs> the Bill Gates as the, you know, the the, the big villain of the world in, in, in those theories. Um, why? Why would they? You carry your phone. That's all they need. <laughs> And if you have other smart devices, they they know so much. I, you know, of course, we need to, I think, be careful with with the, and and also we have to, we need to have a debate with these companies about how they use their data, what is ethical, what do we as a society allow, what, you know, how far should this go? And there have been many, many times in the past that Facebook has not been a good steward of all that data. And um, probably other companies have made uh, similar mistakes. And it's not just you know, data leaks and that sort of stuff or getting hacked. It's, it's just what, what do you do with all, the, all this knowledge that you have about anyone, basically? And how dangerous can it be when algorithms 
start to use that data to basically control the spread of information. We've seen in recent uh, times how disastrous of an effect that can, can have on every dimension of our society. So I think there needs to be, and there already is and to a certain extent, a discussion among us as users and with our representatives in, 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 uh, in our governments with these companies to make sure that we are all finding ways to really steward this, be good stewards of this data. Because it's, it's, it's so defining uh, for, for people's future um, and these companies have so much power. Well, power, power can corrupt. It doesn't always, but it can. And we need to be vigilant. That is the final element of this show. Thank you so much. I'm not tracking you, by the way. I can see how many people download this podcast episode. I can't even tell if they've ever listened to it. So if you're listening to this, thanks. I wouldn't know. <laughs> hey, I'm going to record another episode for my patrons. It's called Father Roderick to the Max. And this week I'm going to talk about... Uh, what I discovered about hash browns and what else you could do with uh, grated potato. I'm going to talk about my production or creation workflow and which tools I use to prepare my shows and TV programs. I'm going to give you a review of a Marvel comic called The House of M, which I think has inspired WandaVision on Disney+. Plus. I'll talk about my initial experiences celebrating Mass at Oriente. And I'll... Uh, talk a little bit about Dolby Atmos for headphones in conjunction with video games. All that and more on this week's episode of Father Roderick to the Max, available exclusively to my patrons over at patreon.com slash fatherroderick. It's available for all tiers. So by all means, take a look. You can already become a patron for $2.50 a month. A month! Love to have you as a member of the community. See you later. Have a wonderful day. Stay healthy. And God bless.